Well, I invite you to turn on the the other side of your bulletin, and you'll find our scripture text uh, for this afternoon. We will be considering uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 24, uh, as we consider on in our uh, continue on in our consideration and study of the Gospel of Luke. We come to these verses, which concludes uh, this section of Jesus speaking with and interacting with the the 70 messengers that he sent out. Uh, So let us give attention now to the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, our text this afternoon that we are considering presents to us, I believe, a very simple question for us to consider, Uh, and that is, where does our joy in our Christian life come from? Uh, Where is your joy ultimately found? Uh, What is it based upon? Uh, Even upon a, a first reading of this text, the theme of joy, I think, hits us as we read through it. Uh, Joy is mentioned uh, four times in these first five verses. It's continually coming up. They returned with joy. The Lord Jesus rejoices. And so here Jesus uses the occasion of uh, his 70 messengers as they come back from their mission uh, to to speak about this topic of Christian joy. And I think it's important for us to consider these things first because, uh, as we know, all people desire to have joy uh, and to be joyful. All people want to be happy. They want to be blessed. They want to have joy in their lives. But joy is especially important for us as Christians, uh, I believe we find the scriptures to teach. Uh, Joy is meant to mark us as Christian people. Uh, That's to be a a distinguishing feature of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So as a result of this, we see commands to rejoice abound in the New Testament. We're we're constantly being commanded to rejoice, to have joy. Uh, In fact, joy is one of those fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 6. And so it's important for us to consider, where ultimately does our joy come from? Uh, Where should your hope and happiness in the Christian life on a daily basis, uh, where should that rest and where should that come from? And in Jesus' interaction with the 70 here, I believe we see Jesus teaching these things and and we find three points from Jesus' interaction with his followers. First, we see the joy of saving benefits. Secondly, we see the joy of Jesus Christ. And third, we find the joy of sovereign grace. These, these three joys that Jesus teaches us. So, so we'll consider this afternoon these three points. 
Uh, the joy of saving benefits, the joy of Jesus Christ, and the joy of sovereign grace. So first, we'll consider uh, this uh, first point of the joy of saving benefits. Look again with me at verse 17. Uh, Jesus, we've seen in previous weeks, has been commissioning and, and speaking to his followers as he's uh, sent them out to go preach the gospel. And so we have this record of, of what he says that they are to do, but here in verse 17, we also find Luke recording for us the 70 returning. Uh, so we get to not only see what they've gone to do, what Jesus has taught them to do, but the result of their mission. Uh, we get to see how, they, how it's fared for them, what's happened, how has it gone. And as we see in verse 17, their, their mission has evidently gone well. Uh, their missionary labors have been met with, with some success, and so they return rejoicing. You see there it says in verse 17 that the 70 returned with joy. This is almost like uh, the, the report of a, of a missionary who comes home from the mission field and is rejoicing of all the work that God has done, that they've seen as they preach the gospel in, in foreign lands. It's, it's meant to be a great encouragement. And so we see the, these 70 returning with, with joy, with encouragement at the work that they have done in the ministry that Christ has called them to. But note particularly what they are rejoicing in. They say this as they respond to the Lord Jesus in verse 17. They rejoice, they say, that even the demons are subject to us in your name. See, they rejoice that as they've gone out and Jesus has given them authority to preach, he's given them authority in his name, that they've seen the power that they have over demons. They've gone from town to town, and demons have been subject to them. Uh, they've been casting them out. They've been healing people. They, they've done great works, mighty works that Jesus has called them to do, and they are rejoicing in them. In a sense, it's, it's natural for them to rejoice in these things, isn't it? Uh, these are great things that they're taking part of. They've gone out uh, in the ministry that Christ has called them to. They've done these, these mighty works that Christ has given to them. Uh, the, the subjecting and defeating of demons seems like the right kind of thing for them to be rejoicing in. Uh, we ought to rejoice when the ministry is successful. And yet we see in verses 18 and 19 Jesus' response to their rejoicing. How, how does Jesus interact with this joy that they have in the demons being subject to them in his name? We'll look again at what Jesus says in responding to them in verse 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. See, Jesus responds by giving this, this glorious vision, uh, this, this statement of spiritual realities. And in one sense, some of these verses are, in, in a sense, some of the hardest and most difficult verses for us to understand in, in the New Testament. Uh, what exactly is Jesus saying here? Seeing Satan fall down from heaven. Uh, he speaks of, of serpents and, and scorpions. But what, what exactly is Jesus talking about here? What, what does he mean? In a sense, I think these are difficult verses for us to understand exactly what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is doing here in responding uh, to their joy in, in the demons being subject to them is he, he's pulling back the curtain to give a, a picture of uh, the spiritual reality that's going on behind the ministry and the fruits that they have seen. He's, he's, he's showing them what, what's going on behind this, behind the demons being subject to them. Jesus, Jesus is saying that the subjection of the demons that they are seeing 
uh, is representative of the victory and triumph that Christ has won and is accomplishing over Satan. Uh, Jesus in his ministry continually talks about this. Uh, you remember the passage in Matthew chapter 12 uh, in which Jesus speaks about how he has uh, bound the strong man, being Satan. And Jesus in his ministry, all of his miracles and his casting out of demons are evidence of this, this binding, this triumphing over Satan. And so as they've gone out, and as they've cast out demons, as they, as they have seen these, these spiritual powers subject to them, Jesus tells them that they are seeing ultimately the fruits of, of this defeat and triumph over Satan himself and over his demons. And so his followers, as they go out, they, they've, they've shared in this triumph that Jesus has. They've shared in his victory and in casting out demons. This is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's seen Satan descending. He's seen Satan falling. But what are we to do with the language of serpents and scorpions? What, what exactly does, does Jesus mean here? I think we ought to understand that this is part of the, the defeat of Satan. You notice that Jesus says that he has given to them power over the enemy and that nothing shall hurt them. See, Jesus is describing the, the authority, the power that they have in his name, the ministry that they've been given, and they've experienced this power. They've experienced this authority. In fact, the language that Jesus uses here might sound familiar to us. Let's often understand that Jesus has taken this language from Psalm 91, the song we so often sing, in which there the psalmist talks about the, the security, uh, the hope, the joy that God's people have, that nothing shall hurt them. And so here Jesus is talking about this, this great victory, this great authority that these followers have experienced and shared in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a, a glorious picture that Jesus is giving to them. A glorious picture of spiritual realities, of the great victory that Jesus is accomplishing, of the amazing things that they are partaking in. They're, they're part of and sharing in this great ministry, this great triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, it makes sense for them to be rejoicing in these things, doesn't it? This is a glorious picture that Jesus is giving to them. And yet, notice what Jesus says in verse 20. He tells them not to rejoice in those things. Nevertheless, though this is great, though this is glorious, though you've been given authority, though you've been given power, he says, do not rejoice in these things. But instead, he tells them that they ought to be rejoicing that their names are written in heaven. In a sense, uh, it wasn't wrong for them to be rejoicing uh, in the things that they were rejoicing in. It wasn't wrong for them to be glad in, in the experiences and the fruits of the ministry that they'd seen, uh, but they were letting this joy become the center of their Christian lives. They were letting this, this authority, uh, this power that they had from the Lord Jesus Christ take the center of their Christian joy. They were becoming overly fascinated with the power that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I think we find from this uh, words of the Lord Jesus Christ, a very important uh, point for us in our Christian lives, and that is that in our Christian lives, our joy must be placed ultimately and primarily in the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spiritual blessings and benefits which we have in him. Our joy can never be placed in the, the secondary things, the means, the gifts that Christ gives to his church, but our joy must always be placed in Jesus Christ himself and the blessings and the benefits that he's given to us in our salvation in him. 
And certainly this applies to the, the ministry of the church, the regular ministry that he's given to us. Uh, Christ has called his church to preach his word. Uh, he's given gifts unto us as the church for the accomplishment of this task. And yet we must always uh, work against the temptation that the disciples and followers here had to place our joy, our hope, to even find pride in the ministry, uh, the gifts, and the fruit that we experience from the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is a temptation that's not only just for these followers and the ministry they had, uh, but, a bit, uh, but a temptation for, for all the church in all ages. Uh, though we, we do not cast out demons in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we still have a ministry to preach, to teach. We've been given gifts for the accomplishment of God's purposes. And even though these, these things are great, uh, we ought to have joy when uh, Christ blesses his word. Uh, when the Lord uses gifts that he's given to us for the building up of his church. Our joy can never ultimately be placed in those things. It must be a joy that is placed in the benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have and experience in him. You remember that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 describes these blessings and benefits that we have in the salvation of Jesus Christ, and, and he says this in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, if you have believed in him and been united to him, this is true of you. You have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Think of all the, the great blessings and privileges which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have union and communion with God through Jesus Christ. Now, this great end for which we've been uh, created, to know God and to enjoy him forever, is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have in the Lord Jesus the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've been justified, made righteous before him by his grace. We've been adopted into his family, have been sanctified and, and are being sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're given peace of conscience. We have the hope of perfect holiness at our deaths as we enter into the presence of God. We, we have the, the final hope of the resurrection and the full enjoying of communion with God to all eternity. See, if you are in Jesus Christ, believed in him by faith, these benefits are yours. These are what you experience. And so may our joy continually be placed in these things ultimately. Not in the secondary things, not in the, the gifts that Christ has given, but ultimately in the benefits which the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. He has blessed us with these things in the heavenly places, given them to us by the Holy Ghost. And so let our joy continually be placed in these things. This is the first point that Jesus gives to us as he begins to interact with the 70 followers. He teaches us of the joy of saving benefits. But secondly, he teaches us also of the joy of Jesus Christ. The joy of Jesus Christ. And we see this in verses 23 to 24. Following Jesus' interaction with them and, and his prayer, he moves to then speak of uh, the, the great gift that they have in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what is it that they see? What is it that they hear? 
uh, that Christ is blessing them for, that Christ says they are so privileged to, to see and to hear. Well, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And remember in, in the passage, the chapter right before this, uh, the disciples had confessed that they understood Jesus to be the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, not simply a prophet, uh, not simply a great man, but they saw Jesus for who he truly was, the promised Messiah. And because they've seen this, Jesus says, you are blessed. This, Jesus says, is what people, God's people, in the whole history of redemption have longed to see. God's people since the fall, since God's first promise in Genesis chapter 3, had longed to see the fulfillment of these things. They'd longed to see the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd had the promise in Genesis 3.15. They'd seen further promises in, in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, in David, in his covenant of a king to come, uh, prophets spoke of the great redemptive work that was to happen in the future. And here the Bible tells us that all these people in the Old Testament were, were looking with anticipation. Uh, they were longing, stretching out, uh, desiring to see the fulfillment of the things that had been promised to them. And Jesus says that these disciples, and even us as Christians today, we have received what they desired to see. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Peter speaks about this, and he says in, in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, he says, concerning this salvation that, that all Christians have received, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You see, the, the prophets, as they spoke about Jesus, as they prophesied what was to come, longed to understand what they were speaking of. They longed to see the fulfillment of what Christ was revealing to them. And here, Jesus says that those who see Jesus and hear him have received what they longed for. What they once desired has now been fulfilled. And blessed are those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' point here is that there is great joy in the grace of the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know, I think, the, the significance of, of receiving something that you've waited a long time for, uh, or even something that, that other people have desired and wanted. There, there's great significance to that thing. I often think about, and related to this, in, in the sports world of, of the Boston Red Sox, uh, that the baseball team that uh, didn't win a, a World Series, a championship for 86 years. A long time waiting to win a World Series. They had once been the best team in baseball and, and then had an 86-year drought of, of World Series championships. And there were many Red Sox fans when they eventually won in 2004 who reflected upon the joy that they experienced because they'd waited so long for this championship to come. In fact, one uh, man wrote an article uh, speaking of his father, who was born in Boston in, in 1923, uh, who grew up going to Red Sox games for, for years and years, waiting for a championship. And, and he described in 2004, when they eventually won, uh, the, the extra joy and happiness that he felt because he'd waited so long to see this. He'd waited 81 years. He'd, he'd gone to games. He'd, he'd longed to see his favorite team win a championship. And there was so much more joy because he had waited so long. And in an even greater sense, Jesus here is, is speaking of, of the same thing. That we now, as, as Christians in the New Covenant, 
who have the, the full revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel are blessed. We have the great privilege of seeing and experiencing what God's people throughout all redemptive history have longed to see. So think of the great privileges that we have uh, in relation to, to God's people in the Old Testament. You see, they had promises of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet we have the fulfillment. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ in, in types and shadows, uh, in the sacrificial lamb, uh, in Passover, in circumcision. Yet we have the substance of those things in the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had gracious sacraments in the Old Testament, which were shadows. And yet we have sacraments and ordinances which are marked by greater fullness, a greater clarity, greater efficacy. Certainly there is not substantially a difference between what old covenant Christians have and what we have. And, and yet now that Christ has come on this side of the incarnation and this side of the, the cross and the resurrection, there is a fullness of experience which we have which they longed for. And so since we have the privilege of seeing these things, of hearing these things, of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in his fullness, in the light of his incarnation, let us not neglect to put our hope and joy daily in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be distracted, distract our joy from anything but union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let our joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, our union with him, be expressed as we daily uh, and Lord's Day by Lord's Day seek to experience the, the full privileges of union with him in the means of grace that he's given to us. The Lord Jesus has given to us tokens of his grace and communion which we have in him. He's given to us his word preached. Uh, he's given to us the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, he's given to us prayer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may our joy that we have in Jesus the joy of this, this great prize which the people of God have longed for for all ages. May our joy be expressed Lord's Day by Lord's Day as we attend to those means that he's given to us by which we might experience and enjoy that communion which we have in him. I think this, this daily joy which we ought to have in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is so powerfully symbolized in the example of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Uh, you remember Simeon, the the elderly man in Luke 2, as he waited all his life to see the Messiah, he'd received a promise from God that he would see uh, the Christ before he died. And in Luke 2, we find him seeing Jesus in the temple, uh, that thing which he'd longed for for ages, and rejoicing to hold the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in a similar way, may we daily rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, hold fast to him, and rejoice in all that we have in him. And so Jesus teaches us first of the joy of saving benefits. He teaches us secondly of the joy of himself, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, he teaches us of the joy of sovereign grace. And we see this in verses 21 and 22. He says in, in, in response to his interaction with the disciples, in the same hour, Jesus rejoices. While he calls his people to rejoice, Jesus now himself rejoices. I think the commentator J.C. Ryle comments on this as helpfully and notes that in this one instance, this is the only time in all of the scriptures that we have the record of our Lord Jesus Christ rejoicing. Three times, he says, we are told in the Gospels that our Lord Jesus Christ wept. Only once we are told that he rejoiced. 
And so what is it that the Lord Jesus Christ rejoices in? And we see the answer very clearly in verses 21 and 22, that Jesus rejoices in the sovereign grace of God in the salvation of sinners. Notice what he says, that the Father has revealed these things to some and not to others. And in verse 22, he describes the the relationship that he has with the Father and the Father has with him. And that he describes himself as the one who is the sovereign revealer of the gospel to those whom he wills. He even describes the, the, the character of this sovereign revelation. That the Father has hidden these things, he says, from the wise and understanding, and yet has revealed them to little children. Not to remind us of the Apostle Paul's words in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in which he says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, God has revealed these things to the weak, those who are not wise, those who are not great in this world. He has revealed it to the simple, to the weak. And this is something that the Lord Jesus Christ rejoices in. But notice also the the, the grounds of this sovereign election and revelation of God. Uh, It is not because some of these people were better than others that the Father revealed these things to them. Uh, It's not because there is some inherent value in being weak and simple. Uh, It's not because the Father uh, foresaw faith in them and, and good works, and so thereby he decided to reveal himself to them. But no, he says, it is solely based upon his gracious will, the gracious will of the Father, that these things are revealed to us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ rejoices in this sovereign grace. He teaches us here that salvation in him is purely of God's sovereign and free grace in his his sovereign will. So he teaches us here, I think, as we've seen in previous weeks, uh, the rationale for why some do not believe. Uh, As the 70 are to go out and preach, uh, he teaches us there that that some will not believe. And, And here we see that the Father has chosen to reveal to some and not to others. But he also reminds us of of the most important truth, that our salvation in Christ, that blessedness which we have because we have seen Jesus, is solely of God's grace and not of ourselves. This doctrine of predestination which he here gives to us ought to be a great joy for us in our Christian lives. It reminds us of God's great grace, his, his sovereign grace to us. It is not because we are great that we have seen these things, We are not blessed because we have opened our eyes and seen the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are blessed because the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed these things to us. And so our response ought to be that of the hymn that we have just sung, that our joy would be in God's great, sovereign, free, merciful grace to us. And so in all these things, may our joy in our Christian lives rest in Jesus Christ and the benefits that he's given to us in the free, sovereign grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we seek to be a people, a church that is marked by this kind of joy, characterized by this joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might be distinct in this as we pray together. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we give thanks, O Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are merciful and wise, and that you have revealed these things to us. O Lord, teach us that we are not the wise of this world, but that we hold to the the foolishness of the cross. And may we hold fast to it. O Lord, teach us to place our hope daily in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name.
Amen.